and we'll let them get settled. This morning we're wrapping up our series, exploring the stories of unsung sheroes in the book of Luke. Stories about women in the Bible are a mixed bag, honestly, and oftentimes we find what we came looking for, whether that's subjugation or liberation. But the Gospel of Luke has more stories about women than any of the other Gospels, and even though they don't always say what I want them to say, they do contain wisdom that I don't want us to miss. The first week, we affirmed that the women who funded Jesus' traveling ministry and managed the logistics for him were following the pattern of service set by Jesus himself. The second week, John Powers showed us how Jesus emancipated women who had been marginalized by physical illness and brought them right into the center of God's divine activity. The third week, we saw how Jesus chose to honor widows when he wanted to talk about persistence and generosity. And last week, we heard Jesus' invitation to sit and rest instead of being distracted by our service. This week, we're going to come full circle to hear the story that comes right before the story that we started with at the beginning. So the first story that we explored was of the women who provided the financial and logistical support for Jesus' traveling ministry. The Gospel of Luke says that they served him out of their own resources. And instead of seeing that as a servile position, we recognized that their service is as honorable as the service that Jesus came to render in the world. This morning, we're going to hear the story that comes right before that. It might be familiar to you, or you might think it's familiar to you, because a story sort of like this is told in all four Gospels. But this morning, we're just going to focus on Luke's version of it and see what we can learn from that particular lens. Before we read it, let me set the stage. We're at the end of chapter 7, which begins with Jesus healing the Gentile servant of a Roman general. So a general in the occupying army, Jesus heals someone in that man's household. Then Jesus raises a Jewish man from the dead because he feels compassion for the man's grieving, widowed mother. Then some followers of John the Baptist come to Jesus and they ask if he is the one that they have been waiting for. He reassures them by recounting what has been happening in his ministry. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor receive good news. He is the one they have been waiting for. But then he has words with some Pharisees and some lawyers who rejected the ministry of John the Baptist and are now rejecting Jesus' ministry too. Jesus says to them, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said he has a demon. Yet the human one, a.k.a. the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the criticism they have for Jesus. So with that in mind, let's get into our story. I'm going to read it to you bit by bit and make some points along the way, and then we'll wrap it up. 
This is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After Jesus entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing beside him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on comparison, but I will say that a story that reminds us of this one does show up in all four Gospels. In Matthew and Mark, the woman anoints Jesus' head. In Luke and John, she anoints his feet. But Luke's story is altogether different from the other three. The other three occur in the week leading up to Jesus' death. Luke's is much earlier in Jesus' ministry. In the other three, the woman's act is interpreted by Jesus as her preparing him for burial. And the disciples get snippy about how much the ointment cost. But as you'll see, Luke's story goes in a totally different direction. So let's keep reading. So this Pharisee, who had just been commenting to himself about this woman and about how Jesus must not be a prophet after all, he was saying that to himself silently, right? So here we go. Jesus replied. <laughs> Pharisee just got done assuming Jesus isn't a prophet. Jesus reads his mind. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny. Okay. Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, the Pharisee replied. Jesus said, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed more than two years' salary. The other owed more than two months' salary. Neither could pay. So the moneylender canceled the debts of them both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now, I find this comparison interesting. As you've already guessed, Jesus is setting Simon up for a lesson here. But in this comparison, neither of the debtors could pay their debts. Doesn't matter whether it was a big debt or a little debt, they couldn't pay it. And so I think this might be a little bit of a trick question. Because regardless of the size of the debt, if it is unpaybackable, the intensity of the gratitude would be the same, wouldn't it? You follow me? It doesn't matter if one owes more than the other. In their own situations, neither could pay the debt. So they have been equally rescued from disaster. I think this is part of how Jesus is setting up Simon for the lesson, but keep that in mind when we see what happens next. Jesus turned to the woman, so you following this, and said to Simon, you catch the physical? He's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. 
Jesus said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman, talking to Simon, looking at her, when I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven. So she has shown great love. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. This section makes no sense to us as modern readers, but it's about hospitality. So in the ancient world, most people traveled on foot. It was hot. There were no showers, so personal hygiene was not what we're used to. So when you welcomed a guest into your home, the hospitable thing to do would be allow them to at least wash their dirty feet or have one of your servants wash it for them. You would greet that person with a kiss of friendship or respect, very European, not very American. And you would offer them some fragrant oil for themselves, which would make close contact more pleasant for everyone. Simon does none of these things. The woman does extravagant versions of all of them. This is not her house, but she is going above and beyond what even the best hostess would do. Here's the last few sentences of the story. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. We can tell this story in seven words. Seven. It's a nice round number, represents wholeness in the Bible, right? I found seven words for you. The first word is sinner. This woman is labeled a sinner. And despite what church tradition usually offers us, we don't know what that means in her situation. How many of you thought she was a prostitute? Yeah? Of course you did. That's natural because that's what we always think. But the text doesn't give us actual evidence of that. So with absolutely no evidence from this story or any other, we assume that a sinful woman must be doing something sexual. Right? This is what has been handed down to us through a misogynistic, patriarchal church tradition. Maybe she was, but we don't know. There are plenty of other possibilities. The Pharisee reacts to her with all kinds of self-righteous indignation as though she is a sinner and he is not. A sinner who has come into his house and crashed his fancy dinner party and is monopolizing the attention of his guest of honor. He gives her a label, sinner. His label for her. Society's label for her. But not Jesus' label for her. The second word is canceled. In Jesus' parable, the creditor canceled the debts. The creditor forgave the debts. 
Literally, the creditor gave grace to those who owed him life-destroying, impossible-to-repay debts. All of a sudden, by the grace of the creditor, the debt is just gone. We have good evidence that in Jesus' day, debt was the most common Jewish metaphor for sin. Sin is not tangible, right? It's a concept. And so we need to relate it to something that we can touch and experience, like debt, which almost all of us have in some form, right? Can you imagine if one day someone just wiped out all, all of your debt? Can you just take a minute and feel what that would be like for you? All of your debt just canceled. It's great, isn't it? It'd be the best thing. All of your debt canceled. Which brings us to the third word, love. The verb. The verb love, not the noun. Love is the action in response to having your debt canceled. The one who had the larger debt canceled supposedly loved more. And I think this is where Jesus is making a point. Remember what I said a few minutes ago? If both debts were equally unrepayable, why would one person love more than the other person? They wouldn't. But Simon thinks the one who owed more would love more. Why? Because he was comparing their debts. And so Jesus comes back at him with comparison. This is important. Simon thinks he has very little to be grateful for. He's a Pharisee. He's a stand-up guy. He's not a sinner like her. His sense of self-righteousness deadens his gratitude. He is playing the sin comparison game. Well, at least I'm not like those bad people. He is judging her sins, but ignoring his own sins. And the point of the story that Jesus told was that the debts were equally unrepayable, even though they were of different amounts. It doesn't matter that Simon thinks he's better than this woman. He couldn't pay his debt either. He is paying attention to the size of her debt instead of the grace of his cancellation. This is the perennial hypocrisy of church people. We look at other people who we think are worse than we are, and we forget that our debts are equally life-destroying for us, equally unrepayable. We are paying attention to the sins someone else had in the past instead of the grace that we have now. The fourth word is forgiven. Sinner, canceled, love, forgiven. This is what the woman was focused on. 
She wasn't focused on comparing the size of the debts. She was only focused on the fact that her debt had been forgiven. The literal translation is released. We've talked about this word several times this year. The book of Luke uses the word released a lot. Luke uses it when he means social liberation, physical healing, freedom from demonic oppression, letting go of possessions or status, being freed from a debt, or the forgiveness of sins. The word release can be used in all those ways, and here it means forgiven. And it's intricately tied to the word right before it, love. Love and forgiveness. Love and release. The way the sentence is written, it's actually hard to tell whether love brings about release or release brings about love. Which means that Jesus wants us to remember that love and release, that love and forgiveness are inseparable. They spark each other. If you are forgiven, you will love. If you love, you will forgive. More and more and more and more. The fifth word is faith. This is the word we talk about all the time. It doesn't mean to force your brain to cognitively accept something that's invisible or nonsensical. Faith means to trust because of a relationship. To trust because you know that person. The sixth word is saved. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. In this situation, I don't think that saved means a soul rescued from the fires of eternal conscious torment. When we come up with that meaning for saved, we're actually reading a whole lot of history back onto the text and seeing something that's not necessarily clearly there. The word saved is used in lots of ways, just like the word release. Saved means rescued, it means healed, it means victorious. The woman's trust has rescued her from her past. Whatever she did and whatever was done to her. Her debt has been canceled and she trusts that her debt has been canceled. Get this, she trusts that she does not need to spend her life trying to repay an unrepayable debt. She has been saved and she trusts that. One last word. There are seven key words in this story. Sinner, canceled, love, forgiven, saved. Nope, grace. What did I do here? The final, the seventh word is peace. Peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the last word that Jesus speaks over this woman, and it is the last word that Jesus speaks over us. Peace. I'm not talking about zoned out serenity. This peace means wholeness. It means everything tied together and in its proper place. Wholeness. God's intention for the world. The Hebrew word is shalom. 
and we find it throughout the Old Testament. When the world is as God intends it to be, when God renews all of creation, things will be at peace. The cosmos will be whole. We will be whole. The point of debts being canceled is wholeness. Love makes us whole. Release brings wholeness. Trust restores our wholeness. And when we are saved, we are whole. And Jesus speaks a word over us. Go in peace. Amen.